Yeah, we'll be in, uh, we'll be in Genesis 12. We're finishing up, uh, I think it's a 10-week series here in Genesis, uh, kind of the primordial history we're going to be getting. Today we're in uh, this idea of um, uh, Genesis 12, which is kind of the turning point here into the rest of the book. So we're going to kind of see a little preview of what's to come in, in, in the rest of Genesis. I think this, this next summer we're talking about returning to this, uh, to Genesis. If you have one of those scripture portions or a Bible, you can just put the bookmark right there, and then we'll return to this, um, you know, again. But uh, but uh, we are going to be uh, looking at uh, Abram uh, and his call and the promises that God uh, gives him uh, here. And so you can be there. You can keep your finger there. Um, we are going to start, though, by reading a different text. Uh, oftentimes, the New Testament will look back on the Old Testament and, and interpret it, tell the story in a way that interprets it. And so uh, that's what we will be uh, reading here to start our sermon uh, today, it is going to be Hebrews 11 is where we'll be reading. So, out of reverence for God's word, I'd ask that if you're physically able, you would stand as we hear how God has revealed himself to us through Hebrews 11. And uh, you can follow along as I read on the screen. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of, with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Since Eden, we've been looking for a home. That place, that home, is a place where we are known and where we know. Eden was that garden, that temple, that city. But as we leave Eden, as we've, we've traced this over the last few weeks, as we leave Eden, we find out that as gardeners, the ground becomes cursed, requiring toil in our labor. We find that cities, though useful, become exceedingly evil, expressions of, of waywardness. They advance the spread of sin. We see this with Lamech building the first city. We see this with Babel. And we find that the temple will be temporary and will be torn down. Place holds identity. Place holds social fabric. And oftentimes God speaks to us in the midst of a place. I think if you've ever, if you've moved here, we're a very transient city, a uh, very transient area. If you've moved here from another place, there's that thing that you may have experienced, that shift from home. We have a, we have a cup. My, my, my wife went to, uh, actually brought it to church today. Um, and uh, it's a coffee mug. She went to Northwestern uh, Iowa, uh, for college, and she lived in a dorm called Hospers. Uh, and, and so one of their branding ways of doing this is they know they have a whole bunch of, you know, terrified 
high school kids that are there, and that's supposed to be their home. So this mug reads, Hospers is home. I, mean, I don't know if that, sh it's trying to help shift the heart to the place of home. You can be comfortable here, even though it's a you know, cinder block dormitory, uh, but you can be here. There's something there, that shift from home is there. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, this, is, this is on a, on a superficial level, your sports team alliance. You know, you get all these different, in Iowa, we get all kinds of fun. Where do you find home is often where you root for that team. Moses writes to a people that are questioning where home is. He writes to people dislocated from their place. Israelites that have come from Egypt, wandering through a wilderness, wondering what is this promised land. Uh, he, he, later on, the, the, the Israelites in Babylon will read him, wondering what is this exile? Where is home? What are we supposed to do? He even speaks that to us. First Peter says that we are exiles, that we are to live in a place away from home, or at least to think of ourselves not quite at home yet. In this passage we just read, the author of Hebrews picks up the relationship between the faithful and the land. And he concluding, his concluding thought, as we just read, is this, verse 13, all these died in faith, verse 16, but as it is, they desired a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He's calling them to shift, not from here or there, but to shift their sense of home upward, so that whether we're here or whether we're there, we can always see home. And this is a shift that Abram is asked to make. We're going to journey with him through this. And I love it's uh, the way that, that Moses has written this, that the Spirit has inspired the words to be here. Because uh, there is a covenant. There is there's a thing that happens. That's going to be later on, chapter 15, chapter 17. We'll get that. But right here, we get to journey with Abram through, through the land, from the land to the land. And, and we get to understand a little bit more of what that means of his faith of how maybe in our own journeys from places to places, through places, we understand reality, we understand our God, and we understand our purpose. So here are your three uh, note-takers. Here are your three outline points. Faith beholds a better reality. Faith beholds a better reality. Um, the, the second point is faith receives a better purpose. Faith acts from a better purpose. So here we go. Uh, verse 1 in our text today, chapter 12 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. The command here is go. So you can note that. Uh, go is what he's told. The direction, where does he say? Go from. Leave this place. Go from whatever it is. And, and, and what are the things that he's supposed to go from? There are three his country, his kindred, and his father's house. I'll, I'll, I'll update some of that language. Go from the land that you're from, where, your hometown. Uh, go from your people, and go from, he says, his father's house. There's, there's a whole kind of an identity thing there. I might, I might take a stretch and say your identity. Go from these things that you know. At this point, you're going to leave everything that identifies you, and you're just going to be a dude. <laughs> you're not going to be all this long litany of, of, of whatever it is that you've been, the son of Terah, you're the son, you know, who came from Ur of the Chaldeans and, and all of that. We go back to, there's a structure, you know, in Genesis. There's a tenfold structure. We've said this a, a handful of times. And it runs off of this phrase, these are the generations of whatever. So this is our structure. 
We're right in the middle, or right at the beginning of one of those. We're on the sixth of ten in Genesis here. Uh, and so if you, if you have a Bible, you can, you can turn back into Genesis 11, uh, verse 10, which is literally the, the, the verse right after the end of Babel. These are the generations of Shem. This is, uh, uh, and then we kind of follow through here. I'm going to speed us ahead now. The generations, and, and we kind of follow through the generations of, of Shem. That's Toledot 5, the, the structure there. Now, 6 is in, chapter, or in verse 27 of chapter 11. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah, and I'll just summarize it. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, uh, and Haran. The, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Now, Sarai was barren. This is a big deal. We'll get to this this summer. Uh, barrenness and the promise of seed. 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, his grandson, and Sarah, his granddaughter-in-law, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans, so that's where their hometown is, to go to the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, which is halfway, they settled there, and Terah died in Haran. So I was summarizing quite a bit of that. So that's kind of our backstory. There's this whole journey that happens. These people, this whole group is going, and there's, there's something happening. And it says, like, uh, what is it? And Terah uh, lived, you know, whatever, like 205 years. Like, this happens over a long time, um, and so they're, they're really well known. It takes a few years to get known in a city when you live there for 75 years, and then you go to another place and live 75 years there, then you, you're really well known in two cities. Um, and, uh, and so there's all of this packaged up here. This is where they're at. This is what they've known. They know Ur of the Chaldeans. They know Haran. They know each other. And it's safe to assume that in these places, at least, they're known by others. And then the Lord says, go away from this. That's a tough word to receive from God. Whether it's go from your comfy job because there is something better I have for you. Maybe not just job-wise, but life-wise. Go from a dear relationship. Go from your habitual sin. These are things that we cling to a lot, that we want to be a part of. They're comfy. We're used to them. We've been in them a lot. We don't know anything else. And sometimes, oftentimes, God will say, go away from this. And it's not so fun. In this passage, the Lord will give a command to go. The kind of the structure of this passage is, is really interesting because he'll give a command, do this thing, but then he'll give promises. And he'll give three promises right here. He says, go, and I'm going to promise something to you. So it's not just go, it's go, and I'll promise to do this. This is verse 2 we pick up. And I will make of you a great nation. That's one. And two, I will bless you. And three, I will make your name great. You go, and then I'll do the other work. You go, and I'll do the other work. Now, that's incredible work that he's doing. I'll make a great nation of you. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Now, I want to be very cautious not to make Abraham the point of this passage, like be like Abraham. I guess there's some of that because he was a great guy, but that's not the point of, of the Bible is to celebrate all of the, the people and the stories. He provides a great example of faith, but the hero of this passage is God, and the point of this passage is Christ. How does Abraham understand God, and how does Abraham understand Christ? That's a more helpful question for us to ask. That is, the point is, God 
always keeps his promises and fulfills them in Christ Jesus. That is a big principle we need to know of the Bible always. God always keeps his promises and fulfills them in Jesus Christ. That sounds abstract, but it will be helpful as we look at what we're, what's being said here. So, all of that being said, where I, Abram, I mean, just reading this normally, like Josh Casey right here, and he says, go from everything you know, my response is, dear God, really? <laughs> really? So I'm, I'm going to leave everything I know just on the sales pitch that you're going to make it awesomer. Uh, how, many, how, many, how many have ever had that sales pitch? If you're married, have you ever tried that sales pitch with your <laughs> spouse? That's a great one. Or kids, just trust me. We're going somewhere fun. It's time to get in the car. Yeah, that one, that, it doesn't work on those levels. But this one is huge. Everything you know, leave. Because there's something there. And herein lies Abram's threshold of faith. This is right here, the feeling of faith. We have on one side, everything I know. And we have on the other side, things I don't know. We have on the one side, things that Abram can define, or I can define. And we have on the other side, promises of God. And then you have the doorway, the threshold. Is he going to take that? That's where our plot goes. The narrative right here, this is, this is our tension. Is he going to take that step? Are you going to take that step? To go from whatever is comfy to really what God is, is, is having for you. The better reality he lays out for you. Will he behold a better reality? Will he view the sovereign plan of God as more real than the details of his days? So the question for you and I, brothers and sisters, do you behold a better reality? Do you view the sovereign plan of God as more real than the details of your days? So I want to, I, 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 I want to like stay here and hunker down, but I, I feel like we add a, couple, a little bit more on and, and, and it'll all be there. There's this reality that is different than Abram's reality. There's a reality that's different than your or my reality. And we're told in Scripture that is the foundational reality. God is moving his redemptive plan. And Abram happens to be a part of that for a time. You happen to be a part of that for a time. And that's the question he's saying is, are you, do you have faith that this is actually the reality that's moving? And you're just a little expression of that. That's tough because I'm arrogant. And I know that my little expression of it's pretty comfy right now. And it's hard for me to want to follow that. I know I'm pretty abstract now. We're going to keep moving it toward practical today. So point two, which is verses two and three, faith receives a better purpose. Pick it up in verse two. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I want to pause there because we've had a command, three promises, Right now, we get a command, and we're going to get three promises. So the command here is, so that you will be a blessing. See, God's, uh, there's purpose to God's promises. He doesn't just give promises just to say things. There's a purpose to what he promises to do. And here, he promises that I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to do all of these things, so that you will be a blessing. So that, there's the logical, like, this is the point. But then, in the Hebrew, we actually get, it's like, so that be a blessing. This is actually a command, so that you will be a blessing. It sounds weird when we say it in English, but actually there is a command, you will be a blessing. I'm giving you this stuff, be a blessing. You have the garden, cultivate it. Don't go eat the fruit that I told you not to. You have a city, don't go turn it into this mechanism of evil. You have these things, don't turn them away from me. 
And so that's what he's saying. So I'm giving you these things. So be a blessing. Therefore, be a blessing. And as you do this, I'm going to help you out here. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And two, him who dishonors you, I will curse. Three, in you all the families of the earth shall be a blessing. That's, that's fantastic. So there's poetry in here. Um, I will bless those who bless you. So blessing and blessing, and it's those people. Uh, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So blessing and blessing, dishonoring and cursing. We're getting some of this idea that I'm going to make sure that you're okay. But look at this. It drives in here. I'm just going to set this for you to look at uh, later because it's really fascinating. He says, who's, who's doing the blessing? Th those who bless you. Those, plural, who bless you. Uh, who's doing the cursing? Him. All of those people who bless you will be blessed. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. In all of Genesis 1 through 11, we see the spread of sin. And right here, we start to see this turn. It's the spread of righteousness. This is going to be more than that one who turned you. Him who dishonors you. Him who is against you. There is only one who is going to be against you ultimately. But the blessings will be more. We're starting to see this. I don't know if we can go all the way there, but we're starting to see a turn that the spread of sin is not going to outdo the spread of righteousness. And then the third point, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Hmm. This is a great turn of events here. Moses, or not Moses, <laughs> Abram has a better purpose. It's go into the land, be a blessing. The bigger, better trajectory is not this or that job, this or that spouse, this or that degree, this or that, you fill in the blank of whatever you're struggling with now. It's faith and the working out of your faith. But it's hard to make that switch. It's hard to think that my daily stuff here actually matters to how we understand the eternal realities of God. That just seems so big of a chasm. Let me try and repackage this a different way. Uh, there's this word in Greek, it's called telos. Uh, it's the end, it's the goal. It's, it's that, that, that big target that we're going for. Uh, there's, a, there's an author that I love so much, uh, James K.A. Smith. He writes in a book, You Are What You Love. He, he, he talks about this idea of the telos, the, the end there. He uses, um, actually, a picture. A picture here. This is a, a, a picture, um, Sir John Everett uh, Milios, and it's the, uh, the boyhood of Raleigh. So this is uh, Sir Walter Raleigh, uh, uh, the explorer. And so he is, uh, Sir, Sir Walter uh, Raleigh is the boy sitting down there, I think on the left, listening, right? And then there's someone, you see the guy there, he's pointing, what is he pointing at? He's pointing at the sea. Uh, as to say, out there, out there, that is amazing. We get a, uh, we get a quote, um, a quote here, uh, James uh, Smith, he uses this quote from uh, Antoine St. Uh, Oxbury. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. That's what's happening there. There. That's better. That's your better reality. That's your better purpose. That's your better thing. Is he teaching shipbuilding? Is he teaching navigating in that picture? No, he's teaching them. There's your reality. Go get it. And we find out that Raleigh, North Carolina. He discovered North Carolina, and then it was named after him. 
you spur people on here. What's happening? How does this land with Abraham? Because he wasn't sailing at all. There is a deeper reality that is moving Abram from the threshold of what he knows and what's comfortable to the bigger thing. And we're going to see when that is what's caught. Rather than a directive and orders of do this, be this way, this is the kind of Christian that we want to be. Our children are going to read the Bible. Our children are going to memorize these verses. Our children are going to sing. You and I are going to do this to each other. If I'm going to get married to someone, they have to have X amount of Scripture memorized. This is a thing that we do sometimes to figure out how are we, how are we Christians. Are we Christians? Here's a series of questions to maybe identify whether you're a Christian or not. And we run through those kind of artificial things. Now, I'm, being, I'm making it pretty, pretty black and white here. I don't think it's as, as clear-cut as I'm saying. But what if we measured the immeasurable? What if we measured things that were like delight of God's Word, an increasing delight, an increasing joy, an increasing Thanksgiving week, gratitude? That we could take the highs and the lows of life and say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. These are evidences that that kid sitting there, that you, that kid sitting there, that Abram sitting there caught a vision of something farther beyond. And that is powerful. That moves people. That is how Stephen can give a whole evangelistic message right before people who are holding rocks and then stone him to death. And he can say, let me tell you guys about the sea. Let me tell you about home. Because you don't get it. And I think I've seen it take me there. That's incredible. That's how Paul can land in prison time and time again and say, seems like it's better for me to be here because I've seen something beyond the horizon. Faith receives a better purpose. So what is yours? What is your tell us? What is the end of your life? I think that there are sometimes that we, we look at, let's start with faith. What is the end of our faith? I think sometimes we can, we can come into faith. We can, we can become Christians. We can have this faith, this believing or whatever it is. Um, as, uh, oh man, I cringe at the term, a fire insurance. We believe that the end reality is the, the wrath of God and the flames of hell. And we don't want that, but we find out, loophole, I believe in Jesus, fire insurance, and we're safe. That could be one motive there. And, and I guess that's a, a motive. Um, there could be maybe a motive of, I, I see this thing and, and I want to be a, a perfect um, Maybe here's some more real ones. Uh, I want better health. I want more money. I want to, to, to have the success and the favor that I, that, I, that I hear is there. I want the social connections of my, I want to be accepted into the Christian group because some people I know are Christians and that would be a thing. Um, that's probably more prevalent of a, a tactic in youth ministry, which is unfortunate, but that sometimes seems like the end of our faith. I think sometimes, what is the end of our church? Sometimes it seems like maybe I'm part of a church or I'm a member of a church or I'm a regular attender of a church to satisfy some guilt that I may have. Like I just grew up and I have to go to church. And so that's why I go to church. To change what's wrong. I think church in general is terrible. And so I want to be an active voice in changing church to be better. Well, that's a really noble way to do that. Um, I want to academically grow in the trivial knowledge of God. I want to go toe-to-toe. I learned some things, and I want to go toe-to-toe with the pastor as he's preaching, and I want to actually figure out how he's theologically wrong and follow his argument. It's just an exercise of somehow I'm the smarter Christian. 
which by the way, if you're listening to me, like you, it's going to be really easy to dismantle a lot of what I do. Come on. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, and and to, uh, uh, maybe, maybe it's to, uh, to rekindle a fire. Maybe it's just this, this over, over passion. Like I just need to be refueled. My tank needs refueled this week. And some of that's true. But when, when this is your refueling, I don't know. It's just, I, don't just see, I don't see that's how the Bible works. There's an ongoing uh, weaving into the, the, the plan of God where Sunday morning should not be to pump it up and then we just get deflated. Pump it up and we get deflated. There's, there's something more air, there always for us, always. Not just at church. That, all of those kind of tend toward a consumeristic attitude. So what is it? I'm, I'm really hitting against the wrong ends of, of, of what we're doing. What if the end, the goal, the telos of our faith, that, that thing beyond the horizon is something that's really difficult to understand is Jesus Christ. What if it is the, the, the renewing of you through confession and, and observing, I can't get there on my own, through responding to the Spirit, through looking into His Word and actually wrestling with this? Not just reading, oh, the call of Abram. I've heard this before. This is great. But sitting there saying, what if this was on me? What would I do? And how does that expose my own sin? How does that expose my need to have faith in Christ, in God, and what's going on there? What if the end of our faith doesn't actually happen this side of Christ's return? Ugh, I like finish lines. I like to finish tasks. I hate having multiple tasks out there. What if faith is that unfinished task that only Christ will, will finish for us? Oof. Newsflash, we all signed up for that. <laughs> Sorry to be Debbie Downer on that one. That is it. So one of the things I, I just want to uh, you know, talk about is that's how we think. Jack and I talk about that a lot when we do the whole worship service, is that, is that there is an end there. We should want to confess sins. We should develop a habit in that, and that's why we do the regular habit of confessing sins. We should want to be, have gratitude in our hearts, it's an immeasurable thing, but that's why we pass the plate and talk about it a bit. That's why we go to the table, as we will today, and receive something so different and strange, because we've received something so different and strange. Faith receives a better purpose. Abram's better tell us, his better end, his better purpose is to be a blessing. And so maybe that's a question I would ask you. Assess yourself on this. Throw the question out. What if the end goal of your faith was not to be blessed by God, but rather to be a blessing to others. What if our prayer requests were more of an intercessory for others rather than a checklist of things that I need this week to help me get through the week? Ooh, that's convicting. I think that I... I I've had to put structures in my mind to switch from when I'm updating my buddies who we're praying with, updating for my week, because oftentimes the update of the week can turn into God make me superhuman so that I can get through this week even better. Um, and we have to turn to a heart condition of what is my actual request. Here's what's happened in my life, but here's my request for my heart. Abram's doing this a bit. We see his actions are going to come from here. I'm really leaning into this because what Abram does from here is nuts. But I wonder if that's a shift that we have that would help us be more like Abram in faith. What if the end goal of our faith is not to be blessed, but rather to be a blessing to others? 
Point three, faith acts from a better purpose. Now, you see this, 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 this image here, this, this looking beyond. This is where Abram is. We, we find out that the way he acts, something has fundamentally changed in his understanding of reality and his understanding of his purpose from that reality so that what he is doing is pretty striking. Uh, let's read it. Genesis 12, 4. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all the possessions they had, and gathered, uh, they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So, okay, because we're going to pick this up, if you have a scripture journal or you want to write in your Bible, I would underline the land of Canaan. I'm not going to hit it too hard today, but just for future reference, uh, or if you want to go study that, the land of Canaan is a very big deal in the book of Genesis. The land is promised to Abram, and whenever we hear of land and where they are and what the Canaanites are doing, this all calls into question, is God going to fulfill his promises? We're going to find out later on. He does. So, uh, the land of Canaan. Our Bible reading minds shouldn't be too surprised then that Abram, uh, at Abram's response, what does Abram do? So Abram went. That's all it says. Like, that's as the Lord had told him. That's so simple. That's so dry. That's not actually eloquent or fun storytelling. But do we remember somebody else did this already? Like, if we're reading from chapter one through, someone else did this. Noah, build an ark. That's nuts. I'm going to flood the earth. That's crazy. So Noah did as the Lord it said. No question, no response. Striking. Abel doesn't speak. Noah doesn't speak. Abraham doesn't speak. They just do it. This is normal. You're talking about crazy stuff, God. But I believe that reality to the point that I'm just going to do it. No questions asked. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. I pray for a day when I could say, so Josh went as the Lord told him. Maybe that's a prayer that you would need as well, to believe the reality of God to such a level that we just go as the Lord tells us. Hmm. So Abram went to the land of Canaan, building altars along the way. We'll pick up verse 5. Then they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared. Uh, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord, strange response, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he, here he goes again, built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. What's going on here? Okay, there are a couple things. Uh, look at this. Uh, if you look, I don't know, at the screen here. Uh, we'll try and get fancy. Um, okay, so we have uh, Ur, basically where they start the story. Okay, uh, and then you have uh, a dot over here. That's going to be Canaan, right? So this, these are the two spots. Like, this map is really simple. Okay, so Tara leaves to go from point A to point B, right? We read this in the scripture. So he goes from Ur of, uh, of the Chaldeans to, um, to Canaan, but along the way he stops in Haran, which is way out of the way there. So that's 
kind of where they're at. So Heron then is up here. That's our map. That's a good map. So he makes the one leg, but why is it a V? It's because they're following the rivers. There's a desert in between. So it's not like he's disobeying God or whatever. So, uh, so he goes up there, and then Abram gets the left side of the awesome triangle there. But then we get Shechem and Bethel. So basically, on the way our map is going, there and there. He's not yet at Canaan. He's doing something along the way. What does he do along the way at Bethel and at Shechem? He builds an altar to the Lord. He sees a vision of the horizon. He sees a reality that's better. Our God is the real God. He is the creator. He has a purpose for us. He loves us. He has brought us into this world to image him and reflect his glory in the world. He wants to save us from his wrath because of our sin. He wants to do this. And so he goes straight to, oh man, the Oak of Morah which sounds like Middle Earth and not like the Bible. Uh, verse, verse 6, the Oak of Mora. He's going to go to another oak or, I guess, terebinth tree. So what is this place? This is a, like a, a shrine. This is a pagan shrine. So Ur of the, of the Chaldeans, it's a pagan place. Haran, it's a pagan place. And he walks. And why does it say this? And you don't have to tell me that he stopped at this tree. He goes straight to Shechem, to the Oak of Morah, because it is a temple. It is, it, is, it is a place where pagan worship is happening. And he sets up an altar to God. He doesn't plan on staying there. Remember, he's going to Canaan. But along the way, he's getting there. You and I may be on that journey to heaven. If you're a believer, we got a lot of stops along the way. Your hometown, your college town, your first job, maybe your next job. Maybe you're moving all around the map. He's doing something that I don't think we do very often. Oh, I'm just here for a time. It's just school. I'm just going to get this done. It's just this season. I'm just going to focus on raising my kids. I'm just going to focus on this thing. I'm just going to focus on whatever excuse I have. Excuse, 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 excuse. He's setting up altars to God in front of their altars to others. You get that? And it's offensive. I mean, it's, it's to the level, I, mean, I joke, but it's to, the, it's, it's, it's to the level of offense. Like our modern day shrines of this kind are football stadiums. It's like, uh, it's like, it's like going to Temple Kinnick and, and saying, hey, now we got a better one. Uh, Temple Memorial Stadium, we'll say, which is a weird name for our stadium. Uh, okay, you got a shrine out here, Nile Kinnick, right here, bronzed, neat. Let's tear that down. We're going to put up Scott Frost, there we go. Look at this, look at this. You see how we're doing this? I know, you're feeling it, you're feeling it. I'm doing this on purpose. Uh, I'm gonna get booed out of here. Uh, I'm going further. Uh, and, uh, and you say, oh, everyone here, oh, Iowa City, oh, Shechem, wrong God, our God's better. It's that offensive level. And honestly, we treat our school sports teams very much like God's. And I use one of my favorites because I come from a culture where we worship kids playing football. But he's doing that here. That level of offense should be there. Why would you do that? That's a horrible thing. Someone's going to die doing this, right? This task would not be completed in Iowa City without some injury. (laughs) He's doing this to the level of not their team, but to their God. Not this one. He's the real one. How can someone do that? Well, either they're insane, they have absolutely no idea what they're doing, or they actually believe there's something beyond the sea. They actually believe the reality that's there, and they say, oh, this is nothing. 
They actually believe that being chained in prison to better, it, is, it is better for me to die than it is to live. But it seems that it's the will of God that I stick around for you to help you understand that there's something beyond the sea. Abram is living that way. Why does he do this stuff? That's insane. Just get to Canaan and be happy. Set up shop again. Go worship your God. Go settle down. Just be fine there. And then God's going to give you all this blessing. Because God requires us to do something in response to what he says. Faith acts from a new purpose. One of the things that I have loved so much about having uh, this uh, equipping hour, the theology proper equipping hour, is that it really has, it just kind of rekindled some of those conversations, just the way of thinking through things. And it's made me come to the, to the, to the service uh, here, reinvigorating my longing for the endless immensity of God. And I'd encourage you, we're going to have an equipping hour coming up here in, uh, I think it starts in January, February, I think, um, on Ephesians. I really encourage you to go to those. That's, it gives you more of a, our, our focus is to give a framework of how, like kind of a, a, an academic, mental kind of a framework uh, in, in a conversational, practical way, but the framework of our faith so that when we come to the worship service, we can hang some of these things onto a, a, a more robust, sturdy structure. And that's kind of how we're trying to leverage the two in, in conversation with each other. So, so be mindful, that'll be coming out, you know, kind of the dates of it and signing up for it. But I, I really encourage you to get there because you'll be thinking maybe, mm, we're going to do a ser- sermon series on Ephesians and we're going to do an equipment hour on Ephesians. That's too much Ephesians. Oh, there's never too much Ephesians. Uh, the, uh, but they're going to be through different lenses so that we have a, a more robust faith. You get the bones, you get the flesh, and then you go into community groups. Here we go, into community groups, and then you go and do it. That's kind of the thought of what we're doing here. But we don't have the one-to-one experience, maybe, of Abram. But we have been clarified a better reality. It's life by, through, and in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church, uh, to the churches in present-day Turkey, so Galatia, made the point that, the faith, uh, that faith is the threshold of these two realities. It's the threshold of this life, the bios, and the eternal life, the zoe, and it's, it's walking through and seeing them in connection to each other. It's, it's having one foot in each and understanding that's how we live life, in this life and in the life to come. Specifically, his point is that righteousness that his right standing with God is received by faith alone. You can follow along here on the, on the, uh, on the screen. In Galatians 3, 5 through 7, he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that, this, uh, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, or Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So get that. It says, Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the threshold is faith. Abraham is commended for faith. 
It is by faith that we become righteous. Then he says something so shocking. For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. I'm like, what Bible are you talking? The gospel's in the, New, in the Old Testament? He preached the gospel beforehand. And what is the content of the gospel sermon that God preached to Abram? In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's the gospel in the Old Testament. In you shall all nations be blessed. Matthew 1.1, we talked about this last week. Matthew 1.1. And then Jesus who is in the lineage of David, who is in the lineage of Abraham. Jesus is the gospel message. Jesus is the one who will, uh, who will bring about the spread of righteousness, not simply to people, but to the land, to relationships, to the whole earth. So, three questions as we, as we consider uh, the implications of this for our own lives. To which reality are you beholding? John Calvin, in his commentary on Genesis, says, It is certain that this place of obedience of faith is commended, and not as one single act, but as a constant way of life. Therefore, by the example of Abram, entire self-renunciation is commanded, that we may live and die to God alone. To which reality are you beholding? Hebrews 11, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. It's a detachment from point A and point B, and it puts us in the place of God. It puts us in home, in our right dwelling place. Second question, how does today accomplish forever? And that's a, that's a great question. How does today accomplish forever? If our ultimate reality is beyond the sea, how is today getting us closer there, but more importantly, pointing others to that reality beyond the sea? How does my response to life point to my understanding of eternal reality? How does my response, my words, my thoughts, my emotions foster love, joy, peace, patience, and do that in Christ. How does today accomplish forever? And maybe last question for today is, what does today look like for faithful exiles? There's a heart of exile that needs to be in us. First Peter really develops this idea. That we are not simply our place, but rather we have a home and we're moving around as exiles no matter where we are on earth. We're going to be, next week, we're going to be kicking off the season of Advent. And one of the things I love about Advent is it, is it shapes this longing, this hope for home, this hope for the Messiah, this hope for the one who will bring us back. So this whole season of longing, but then we'll be lighting an Advent wreath, we'll be lighting candles, and they bring about elements of what faithful exile should look like, the immeasurables of faithful exile, things like hope, and joy, and love, and peace. In your relationships, in your community groups, in your families, in your marriage, simple conversation. What does hope look like for you? What does joy look like for you? 
What does love look like for you? What does peace look like for you? Talk about it. Follow-up question, how can we increase those in Christ, in the world around us? To which reality are you beholding? How does today accomplish forever? What does today look like for faithful exiles? So exiled hearts find home in Christ. In Christ, in Genesis, uh, in Genesis we find the temple, the garden, and the city in Eden. In Christ, we find the temple torn down, resurrected, and fulfilled. In Christ, we find the garden where the faithful will be again in the presence of a triune God and marked by fruitfulness, exceedingly abundant fruitfulness. And in Christ, we find the way to the city of God, which is our home. And this, brothers and sisters, this reality is our blessed hope for today. Set up in Genesis, we've departed, but all the themes go back in Christ. And for that, we can be thankful. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for a story, a real story. Thank you for intricately speaking uh, this poetry, this song, this literature, this historical account so that we might understand how you have worked, how you have purposed us to live. Thank you for these first chapters of Genesis. Thank you for the turn of Abram. Thank you that the spread of sin will stop. Thank you that the spread of righteousness is even greater. Thank you that the serpent will be crushed. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for Christ.